Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. And um, we are genuinely delighted, thrilled and privileged to be joined this evening by Peter Moores. Um, Peter probably doesn't need any introduction to uh, people who listen to us um, on these podcasts uh, and follow us online, but uh, just to um, to do the proper thing. So Peter is currently head coach of Nottinghamshire County, uh, County Cricket Club and has had a, a very successful career both as a player uh, and as a coach since uh, retiring from playing, um, uh, where he's been in charge of uh, a couple of counties prior to um, Nottinghamshire and of course was was also head coach of England and uh, he worked with Andy Flower as well at um, at Loughborough uh, with the, the England Academy. So um, a very star-struck um, uh, Tom here is speaking with uh, with Peter but Peter thank you very much for uh, for making the time this evening and, uh, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah nice to be here Tom. So we, we would like to just, um, as, as we have a habit of doing, is taking um, our listeners back in time to the people that we speak with uh, on these podcasts to describe and tell and explain how it all began, how the kind of connection, the interest began uh, for you, Peter, um, with, with this wonderful game of cricket. Yeah, well, I'll take you all the way back, I suppose. So a bit of background of me. I'm anybody um, who doesn't know me... Uh, personally is I'm one of eight kids actually so um, I've got four brothers three sisters so when I grew up I grew up in a big family um, Catholic family uh, and my real introduction to cricket was from my older brother my father didn't play my father um, he played table tennis and stuff like that wasn't cricket and a lot of people who get into cricket often do it through their through their parents really my elder brother Tony he started playing cricket and, and we had the backyard and in the backyard, there was an entry going down towards the sort of the, the sort of back door. And Tony used to basically throw to us, and I was second youngest. So there's Robert younger than me, Stephen just older. Um, and basically, he used to throw to us. And the rules, like all kids will have had, you have rules in the entry, basically. And the rules were, you know, I've hit the wall without bouncing, you're out. Um, you know, if you nicked it onto the back, the, the, the door frame that was out and it's how many balls you could survive so that was my intro into the playing which basically meant you played a four defensive really um, and then slowly but surely uh, I went to the, the primary school I went to they played cricket which was great so that was another sort of win for me uh, I'd played a little bit so I knew roughly what to do so that got you in the team uh, and I started keeping wicket really which became my main profession um, just because I like the kit, if I'm honest, I quite like the thought of putting gloves on. And you were in—I didn't really know you'd be in the game, but suddenly found out you're in the game all the time. So that got me in, um, and it really kick-started me off. And I played for my local club, Macclesfield Cricket Club. Um, I was really lucky, secondary school-wise. I went to the King School Mac, which was a which was a grammar school, and there was a brilliant bloke there called Ian Wilson, um, who was one of the teachers. Um, who was, it was fantastic for me. He was an enthusiast. He'd come and, he'd come and let us go in the nets and stay late and we'd practice. Uh, and he was one of those characters, Ian, who um, he treated you like an adult from the time you were, I started that school at 11, 12. And he, and he, and he really treated you on level. And, and, you know, I learned a lot from him on anything from field positionings um, to embracing all the things that go with the game. So that was fantastic. And at the local club, I also played there as well, which was 
was lovely. Um, and in some ways, there's weird things that happen to you along when I can look back now. Um, one of the big things that happened to me then that really got me excited about the game, I suppose, when I look back is um, we played, then it was Pairs cricket. I presume Pairs cricket still goes on, I think, at the youth level. And I was doing okay at it. I was still, I was probably about 11. Um, and I was in the changing room, actually, and a couple of the teachers who were, who were taken as the coaches, really, they were talking about the team, and they were talking about me, and I heard them inside the changing room. And I was sat in the side of this changing room, and they were going, and, and a guy called Dave Hill, who um, was one of the teachers at the school, he turned around to, to, to Steve Lowell and basically said, um, I think, I think that like that youngster Pete Moores, I think he's got a real chance. I think he's got a real talent behind the stumps. And I've never viewed myself like that at all, if I'm honest. Um, but and then I hid in the dressing room because I, I thought I shouldn't be listening to this. So I waited and they walked off and then I sneaked off back home as you do. But it was a really interesting one. Whenever I work with, with people now, I always think it's really important because it gave me my first real seat of belief. And belief is such an important thing to go and do anything in any sport. And something you try and retain and help people gain all the way through, certainly through my coaching career. I think that's uh, that. That is such a. I mean, I'm I'm smiling because uh, I think I played cricket against Tony um, uh, last year, um, and I and I know you. Um, I know your other brother Steve. Um, but um, yeah, and I think I've also I think I've also met Ian Wilson um, uh, th- um, through yeah. uh, through Steve, um, and uh, and I think your your anecdote about almost. Uh, sort of innocently eavesdropping on on a teacher talking about you um, is something I think that um, that perhaps quite a number of people can relate to, whether it's to do with good news or bad news. Um, yeah. You know, is is yeah. part luck, but uh, but to to hear something so positive as that and uh, and to get that sense of self belief so early, uh, I'm sure um, you know was it was a was a big factor because you know I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, that uh, that self belief, self confidence does go a long way in in life in general, not just in sport. Um, so yeah, were, were the, I mean, you, so you obviously you, you you said with a smile on your face that you you liked the kit uh, when it came to um, keeping and liked the gloves, and then realised as as you did it a bit more that you were involved in the game uh, pretty much every ball. Um, but um, so in, in addition to your your time when you were playing at school. Um, did he keep wicket at at, at at Macclesfield Cricket Club, and and uh, and if so, what was the transition like from from going from junior cricket to senior cricket? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky actually. Again, I think at, at the cricket club there was a guy called Alan McInnes who was the first team keeper, was exceptional sportsman, um, and a great character. And he he became a bit of an idol, really, as a youngster coming up. We watched him keep wicket for the first team and stuff like that. And I I I really started to embrace the fact that I loved it. I'd got um I'd been either given the book, I think, but it was Alan not Alan not on wicket keeping. Yeah. And I sort of got into that, and he had all his little quirks, and I started to embrace what what is a craft. I mean, all sport is an art form; it's a craft. Or something. And I got in, I got into it and started doing it. I found myself then really, really enjoying um, starting to explore it. And the transfer, I think, from from sort of schoolboy to men's cricket, I think it's always a challenge. I think it's always a challenge because um, when you first go up, um, 
you know, blokes are just the more savvy, the more the more intuitive, the, the more educated on the game. So you make mistakes. It's really important, I think, around you at that point. You've got people that just give you confidence again, that they they allow you to go and play because at that point in your career, you should be making mistakes. You know, you you know, you're not meant to be the finished article. You're meant to be, as a, you know. It, when I'm coach, I often say to people, well, if I go to the academics, then how do you learn? And they say the only way we learn as human beings is to make mistakes. Um, so you better go make some. Um, and, and, to, and to allow people to do it, you don't make them on purpose. But it's understanding two sorts of mistakes. Sloppy mistakes like being late and stuff like that. Yeah, they're not right. But if you're trying to, I don't know, hit it over the top or do something, explore it, make some mistakes, then you'll adjust your game. Uh, and I had some great characters around that point who really helped you along and let you play. And so that adjustment came quite quick. But my re- I didn't play much that much for men's senior at Matt. You'd be, then there was Sunday league cricket, which was fantastic. You played on the Sunday, you know, the, the first team on Saturday. And you probably still had five or six first teamers would play in the Sunday team. And that was really my first real chance to be with what I would say were really good players as a, as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old or whatever. Uh, and then looking enough, I, I managed to get into uh, England in the 19s. I had a very, I, I came late actually, probably really, I was good probably between 12, 14, 15, probably died off somewhere between 15, 16, 17, and then suddenly it clicked for me. Uh, and my last year at school did really well with the bat and the gloves, got a chance to play, to trial for England 19s, got in, and then suddenly I ended up on the MC ground staff. Um, really quickly and that was a route to play pro cricket really which was you know so I'd say to a lot of people especially youngsters you know the key for me to get through was in some ways I loved the game so I was going to play the game I wasn't looking at a career in the game and the career sort of started to find me when I was probably 17 18 you know and that sort of thing and suddenly um you know you try and always retain the same that you know it's still a game it's fun it should be fun and that way is the best way to play well yeah I mean we could just end the podcast there to be honest because I think uh, that that's such a, a fantastic uh, philosophy to uh, to hold dear um, for anybody uh, whether whatever standard of um, sport you play because it is ultimately a game and it is supposed to be fun and enjoyable um, I think you're absolutely right again um, without trying to repeat every word but you know to hear you say that um, you know the game found you you didn't try too hard too early and in fact you're your development um, wasn't a, um, a straightforward, you know, incline to the right like like everybody talks about in um, in sports elite sports circles. You, you don't ever really have a journey that is a perfect trajectory. Uh, so to you know to have a um, a spell where you you really accelerated and developed, you know, between sort of uh, I think you said twelve to fifteen, and then had a bit of a a kind of a, a lull before then really kicking on again. Uh, I think that's again a really good point for for people to listen to youngsters to listen to Uh, and there are many many examples nowadays aren't there um, all the tv coverage of what perhaps is termed too broadly but effectively means you know late developers and yet there's a huge huge amount of pressure placed on um, you know, younger kids, so sort of 10, 11, 12 year olds, um, in, in, not, not just in, in our sport, but in, in lots of sports to, you know, deliver performances at that age. And if they don't, you know, it's almost as if that's it. Uh, and yet, you know, everyone develops yeah. at different times. Um, so how, how did the... Well, one of the big things... That, Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, Tom, one of the big things of that people wanting to perform is 
one of the things that really frustrates me, it's one of the biggest mistakes I think we make, and obviously in our academies often and stuff like that, is when um, people are coaching people with somewhere between 12 and 16, 17 and 18 even, and they're demanding repeatability because that's what players at the top level do. You've got to be able to repeat. You've got, Well, of course, when you become a top-flight player or a professional player, you have to be able to repeat your skill. But you don't have to be able to repeat it at... 14, 15, and 16. You'd love to, but what happens then is people play a compromised version of themselves to be able to repeat. So rather than learning to be aggressive or spin it hard or bowl fast or whack it, they start to learn very simple shots like the forward defensive and, the, and, and just block it because I can do that and make it repeat. The big problem being that later on, when you need to be able to stretch your game, you haven't explored it. Mm. And now, you know, in top flight sport, good players have what I call a point of difference. They have mm-hmm. something that is um, that, that basically a fellow pro player would go, wow, oh, you it hard, or you've got a great defence. So you've got something that's slightly off the normal. And you get that by being able to explore your game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often relate a lot of things about sport to music because music's very understandable. Um, and sport and music, they link. So, you know... No one expects you to be able to play a song straight away. You've got to do a load of practice on it. Now, if you want to learn um, a very simple tune on the piano, like Chopsticks, it's not going to take that long. If you want to learn to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, it's going to take longer. You're going to make more mistakes. Eventually, what that will be worth, one will be worth much more if you hit the same notes on, 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 the, on Beethoven. It's going to be worth a lot more than the Chopsticks. But it might just take three or four years. So for a young player who can't yet... Um, hit it through mid-on or clip it through mid-wicket. If he keeps working at it and going at it and making his mistakes, eventually he'll get it. He'll get it, and he wants to hit it hard, then he's got to keep trying to hit the ball hard. And that needs a lot of enthusiasm and encouragement by coaches to allow people to do that and allow people to make mistakes. And, you know, when you go and play the game, of course, at that point, you're really trying to, to perform. But in practice, keep exploring, keep stretching yourself, keep trying to find out what you can and can't do with a game of cricket. Yeah, and um, I, I I love that point of difference. I, I, I was listening into a um, a webinar the other day with uh, with Andrew Strauss, who was talking with Nick Smith. Uh, Nick, oh, I can't remember his surname now. It's awful. But uh, former former world number one uh, squash player. Um, and there, you'll you'll know that uh, that Andrew Strauss is uh, involved in a company called Mindflick. Um, and it, it's all to do with um, mental side to elite sport, but also lessons that you can learn from that within uh, that you could then translate and transfer into the business world. Um, and your equivalent of point of difference was alluded to, but the, I think Mindflix's uh, way of calling it is a, a super strength. Um, so something that sets you apart. But a lot of a lot of people, not just sports people, find it very difficult to actually pinpoint what that is. Um, and so it's interesting again I think to hear you talk about exploring that as early as possible exploring your game as early as possible to find um, answers to find more questions about what that leads to because then then you will uh, inevitably find that point of difference or that super strength sooner rather than later or, I would argue or it will find you yeah or it will find you what, what you what you do is the compromised version of somebody is a 15-year-old who is trying to learn to hit it 270 yards with his driver and it keeps going in the bush. 
Now, the question is, how much he decides to take off that drive, if he hits it 220 to get it straight, he has to decide that, not the coach. Because if the coach says, listen, just three-quarter swing and get it down there, that might be fine. But suddenly he's 17, 18, he needs to be further to be a top-flight player. He's, no, he's lost that. We see. I watch youth sport, and I've got one coach saying to the spinner, "Don't need to really just be just put it on a line length. It'll be great because the batter will make a mistake." The coach is telling the batter on the other side, "You don't need to use your feet much because you'll bowl you a bad ball." So the batter is there, just sitting there waiting for the bad ball. The spinner is trying to bowl flat and tight, and they're trying to win the game in that moment. So okay, that's fine in the game, but if it then came to practice. And they were both doing exactly the same. And the spinner wasn't now trying to grip it hard, get up on his front foot and rip it. And the batter wasn't trying to explore using his feet. Then they would remain at a level that was a good-ish player, but he wouldn't know, yeah, actually, I'm a brilliant back foot player. I can use my feet and clip it through the wicket. Or I've got fantastic drift as a ball. Because he wouldn't have really been there to test it out. And that, to me, is where the fun of the game really lies. Yeah, I know. I mean, um, I th- I've mentioned to you off off the line, and I know you, I know Steve knows about the coaching cards that we've designed, and yeah, the, the coaching cards are essentially a very simple tool, uh, but with a um, a methodology behind it that is all about trying to help players own their own development through through coaches asking better questions. Uh, so rather than um, making direct suggestions or telling, uh, they are simply asking, um, and by doing that, allowing the players to build self awareness. Uh, first of all, but also uh, then sort of taking ownership of their own uh, their own development. So I'm very much with you on on that way of thinking as well. Um, so back back to when you were when you sort of made that step up from um, from junior cricket into senior cricket, uh, got your chance uh, with England under 19s, and then got on the MCC um, uh, ground staff. So um, so so what what were the highlights from from that moment on to in, in terms of summarising your playing career um, that you look back on with great fondness? Well, I mean, like most careers, you have highs and lows. So my low was really I was at Worcester. I got signed by Worcester literally straight away from the MC ground staff, and then got released by Worcester after two years. They signed Steve Rhodes. You know, Steve Rhodes was a fantastic cricketer. Um, and that was really that was a really the first time I would say that the the realization that a professional player is actually you have to it's a job, and I had to look at it differently, which I did. I was lucky, got signed by Sussex, and Sussex then became my home both as player and coach to start with. And a, a fantastic place, um, and a real became a real part of my life and felt very much like home. And the highlights of that playing career, there's certain things that happen. You know, I mean. Getting capped as a player then, as a pro player, was a huge thing. Making your first-class debut was a huge part of it. Getting my first 100 against Somerset was a huge moment. Um, captain in the side in 97 was was, was a real, um, uh, you know, it, it, those things when you're leading the side out for the first time. They're, they're magic moments. Um, and like all, I think, good memories, you know, hopefully if you, if you package those up right, you keep... You keep the good ones, and you let the other ones. You don't. You let them fade a bit because you don't want them to get. In the, you don't want to hurt too much. But there's certain things through that playing career when you have moments when you know, um, you look back and you think, "Crikey, you know that that was a painful time." Other things were huge learners for me. So one of the big learners for me was a coach was county cricket at the time, and it still is a little bit, but less, I think. It, it nearly you could 
nearly fall asleep in it in some ways. That's not trying to be detrimental. It's a fantastic game, but we played so much. We were rolling on the game, and you could just end up doing it. Uh, we then got a coach, Desmond Hayes, fantastic cricketer, um, early in his coaching career. I, I really like Desi, lovely to speak to, fantastic knowledge of the game. But I played literally every game for 10 years, and he woke me up because he came in and said, listen, uh, you haven't got 100 for a while, but if you don't get a score in the next two games, I'm going to drop you and play a youngster. Well, suddenly, practice became alive again. Now it was real, and uh, I look back at that, and I remember that as a coach, and, you know, fortunately for me, it was my last innings of the, of the four innings I had. I got my 100, um, either by fluke or judgment, but he put me under the pump, and I got no in the first innings. Um and so it was all up my second innings, and I remember hooking, I think it was, I don't know, Angel, Joey Angel, I think, from the, the overseas, hooking him sort of a half middle, half top edge, and it went for six at Guildford Small Ground, and that was me, I was away. Um, but it's those fine lines you look Sorry, Tom, that was a call coming in. Would I have got left out? Um, you don't know. But ultimately, you have to look at all those moments I think as if you were if you were found the mental strength to just go and play and enjoy the game, then you gave yourself the best chance. Yeah, and men mental strength, mental toughness, um, the right mindset, whether it's uh, whatever philosophy you follow or research that you you uh, you believe in whether it's carol dweck's stuff or whether it's uh, somebody else uh, i think is um increasingly becoming um almost the norm to talk about when it comes to, to distinguishing between good and great and you know the phrase talent is not enough you've got to have that ability you know between your ears to to also bounce back and uh, or bounce forward whichever you where you talk about it it's interesting to hear you say again i think for for parents as well as coaches and, and youngsters listening to hear you say that Desmond Haynes woke you up a little bit from you know that kind of that sort of hamster on the wheel uh, almost type of approach to playing and not really almost um, appreciating or remembering uh, what what it was like and giving you a little bit of a, a wake up call to say look if you don't make you know don't do something in the next few games that could be uh, your chance gone um, and and yet you know you saying that even though it was the last innings you still had it in you you still uh, managed to do that and uh, I think that is certainly an example of a great pillar of mental strength um, for, for lots of people to to listen to and, and relate to but interestingly it happens you see sometimes happen with youngsters that are very talented you know they you know that they're, they're let's say they're 14 15 years old and they're the best player in the squad and the coach's job is to keep them up keep the challenges that they get to do exciting because otherwise um, the good player can do it in his sleep. Really, he can walk in. He can have a bat. You know, you know, the lad comes in, or the one, the girl comes in. She plays beautifully, and you get, you know, well play. Take your pads off, or a ball, but they're the best player, and you need to be stretched. So often, I look at that that whole idea of the coach's job. Really, is to, you know, most kids play an Xbox or a PlayStation or something like that. You know, if they're a level, if they can already play level ten, well, don't give them level nine. Give them level eleven. Because then they're going to have to be stretched. Once they can do 11, don't keep giving them 11 because they get bored. Give them a challenge that will get them blown up a few times. And let's have some fun with it. And it's okay. And then stretch, 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 stretch. And what you're giving one, one, you know, might be completely different to what somebody else needs. And that whole idea that, you know, learning has to become um, 
all it's consistent you know the coach's role in that is to create environments where everybody can learn at the rate that they can learn at and we know we go at different times so sometimes you know somebody's on one of those upwards ones they you know your job as coach is to help stretch them mm. stretch them fast certainly mm. those those ages of you know, certain periods, you know, adolescence time, we have to be careful sometimes with the physical stuff, but also sometimes people start to really get stuff, you know, 15, mm. 16, 17. You can see them change very quickly as players uh, and suddenly move. And I say you just hope that, you know, somebody's not on a bowling machine facing a, a, you know, 75 miles an hour for three years in a row. Well, you know, there's other speeds. There's 80 and there's 65. And then you can move them all over the place. You can make over and around the wicket, make it swing in and out. You know, you don't have to just do out swing half volleys. There's lots of areas you could explore that will challenge you as a batter or as a bowler that will give you some fun and also raise your awareness of where you can maybe go as a player. Yeah, I think that individualised approach to coaching is, is something, again, that uh, we, you know, we as... Um, as people as you know being part of this podcast series and and you know following cricket coach 365 would uh, completely sort of embrace uh, rather than that kind of sheep dip approach uh, that perhaps in the past has been labeled it uh, you know the way that we um, have previously approached coaching as a as an industry as a, particularly within sport uh, but what what was it that you felt drew you to um coaching uh, and you know was there a moment or was there a time where you felt i could really see myself um you know, going into that area. Oh, it's interesting coaching for me. I mean, I coach as a player quite a lot. So I, I learned to coach really. Um, I went to uh, South Africa and Zimbabwe in South Africa to, to, as a player. When I went to South Africa, I, I, they made me captain and coach of, of, of the team. And we had two or three first-class players. And we did really well. We won it a couple of times. And um, I suddenly found myself working with first-class players. And I was probably 25, 26 at the time. I'm not old, really. Uh, and they liked some of the things I was doing. And so that started to make me think, actually, I enjoyed this. I was still playing. Um, I was the overseas player for the club, if you know what I mean, in some ways. But that started me doing it. And then I started working for Sussex in the winters. We had a thing called School of Excellence. It was before I came in. And I worked on that Chris Waller ran it, myself and Keith Greenfield worked on it, and you started to develop, you know, and I started running a keeping course at, uh, at the club, um, you know, someone like Matt Pry came along when he was 12, um, so we had some youngsters, and we suddenly got um, two or three youngsters that got into England in the 19s, and keepers that did well, so I started to think, well, actually, I quite like this, I, I enjoyed doing it, I, I, you know, I enjoyed discussing the game, and then, um, in some ways, my, I began I had a different sort of epiphany on coaching when I became captain of the club in 97. And they sent me on a Bradford management course. It was like a pilot scheme to what now is the level four. And I was the youngest person on it. Um, I went on this course and actually suddenly, I always remember driving down the end one after um, and thinking, jeepers, I've been a bit of a bit of an idiot somewhere because there's so much stuff out there that I've never even heard of you know, about different things and they've got experts in on all sorts of stuff from um, how to identify different styles of people and listening skills and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, it was all new to me at the time. But it lit a fire in me to think, well, okay, I've got, I, I love coaching. I love hands-on coaching. I love seeing people improve and spend time with them. And trying to also add to that some knowledge that, that I can pick the bits that might help me get some of the stuff I know or help it really get it out of other people so they can start to express themselves as players. 
and then that really started me on that and then with that over time I was coaching a bit and then after 97 I got offered the chance to be to be head coach at Sussex um we'd had a tough season we'd lost a lot of players and then I changed around and this it came a little bit before I expected it I was still playing um I had this vision I was going to play till I was 40 in my head don't know why I had that but I did um and then it came along and I thought yeah you know I'm going to do it I was player coach for a couple of months and then realized pretty quickly in that I've got to do both jobs averagely because I was keeping and still watching the bowl of bowl to see how he, he's, he's actually and then decided to retire we, we signed Mike Bevan as an overseas who came over uh, Chris Adams become captain and we needed a view from off the field as well as a view on it so I, I, I retired we played Aaron Run in the one day game and that night I literally stayed up all night thinking about it went in the next day and retired and that was me I became then became a coach and then over the next few years I think like, a, you know, myself and Chris formed a really good relationship as captain and coach. And like most things, early on in your coaching career, you make a lot of mistakes, really. You learn stuff, you make some mistakes, but you do it with a... The key is, are you doing it with an enthusiasm and a, um, an energy and a buzz that the players will go with you? And, and we had young players as well that we all grew together, I think, as coaches and as players. We were bringing a lot of our own players through, James Kirtley, Matt Pryor... Robin Martin Jenkins, Jason Lurie, a lot of young players coming through. And we grew, and then, you know, we had our goal to win trophies, we had our vision of what it wanted to be, and then we started to win. We started to win, and we, you know, we, we had a blast. Come on. Great time. And it was a great start for me as a coach because I learned a huge amount at that point um, in, in, in what was a style that would work for me. And then you still make your, your, your mistakes all the way through your career because that's part of the journey, that's part of learning. You just hopefully make less, um, and you start to understand yourself a bit better. You you touched on the word style there. It was almost like you're reading my mind because the the question that I was thinking about uh, whilst listening to you there was, you know, how how would you describe your own style of coaching? Well, I'm an enthusiast, so um, for me, I, I I view things that. Um, I'm trying to create an environment. People talk cultures all the time. I often talk about the environment you're in, one where everybody can improve. And I mean everybody, including me as a head coach, to the support staff, to the players. And the collective improvement will we'll, we'll win. Winning is often a byproduct of people getting better. Um, you can only become a really good team or set up by having outstanding people. Um, and that growth in people means that they have to understand certain behaviours that go with it. There is a trade-off sometimes in teams to a degree. And you need players to become autonomous, that they are, they're, they're part of it. It's a bit like it's not different to parenting. You're going to go together and you're going to treat everybody differently. You know, I, all the way in teams for me, that anybody tries to treat everybody in the team the same would be ridiculous because that isn't fair. You know, I've got an 18-year-old who's just signed and I've got, you know, when I first signed it, not... So we have Chris Reed, who's, who's a 39-year-old with two kids, um, into England as national outstanding player. Well, they shouldn't be treated the same because one has got a completely different set of responsibilities, needs completely different things to the youngster that's coming in. So that balance for me is you start to find. My number one mantra for, for a coach, I would say, is to try and help players build self-belief. Uh, because I see self-belief pretty much as it's like fuel in your engine. If you don't think you can, you can't do it. And you really build belief through, through fundamentally, I go back to those academics, 
you build belief through performance accomplishment. You go and do it. So as a coach, my job is to create situations where a player can do and then build belief from that real confidence. So if you want to know you can hit the stumps, you better go throwing at a stump. And if you start hitting 8 out of 10, I could tell you quite honestly, there's an 80% chance you're going to hit, hit the stumps. If you hit 2 out of 10 and you get a throw at, at, at the stumps, then realistically, if you do hit, you'd be lucky. You have 20% chance of training, trending, never mind in the game with the pressure of the game. So you try and, you know, if, if a player wants to know if he can bowl top of stump, which is the case to be in England or pretty much all over the world, Go and bowl 30 balls at the top of off stump, and if they're roughly in that area, you will know roughly. And then, you know, do it again. And enjoy that sort of challenge. The only way you can challenge somebody fundamentally is you have to make the environment safe enough, and that means everybody trusts you that we're going to challenge you because now you believe us. That we're, doing it, we're doing it through the love of you as a player and the enjoyment of it. Again, go back to that family value, you know. Mum and dad often play safety challenge, you know mum's being safe or dad's doing the safety where the other one's challenging, you know. So, you know, dad's saying, listen, he's fine, let him leave his own work, let him go and play football. And mum's saying, no, he's got to go and do it because he's got to be exceptional. And then, or it's the other way around, it doesn't matter. But that, you know, mum's saying, leave him alone, he's okay as he is. And dad's saying, no, come on, he's got to go out and do a bit more, you've got to stretch yourself some. But that whole idea... I've got my kids phoning me up at the moment. Um, but the whole idea of it fitting together of this, it's okay. Because why do we like challenge? Because it's what we're about. You know, we just, I've been watching I'm a Celeb Get Me Out of Here. Nobody else has watched it on the TV. <laughs> well, everybody comes out of that and goes, oh, it's the best time of life. Mm. You know, you've been made to eat stuff you don't like to eat. You've been challenged in all sorts of different ways. Phones taken away, completely different stuff. Yeah, it's that challenge because they know it's safe. You know, they're not deliberately going to try and get them eaten by a snake. You know, it wouldn't really probably give the series much chance of surviving. <laughs> but realistically, they know it's safe. So listen, God respects And then they come out and go, wow, it was unbelievable. So that would be my style. You know, try and get it so we're in together. And then, okay, where can we go with this? With the view being, um, I think all great coaches have this. And I hope I'm trying to get it. But... You, the whole idea, you view people what they could be, not what they are. Yeah, the potential. And yeah. that, to me, fundamentally, every, every parent does it. It's naturally in us. Mm. You look at your three-year-old, five-year-old, ten-year-old or whatever, and you imagine what they could be. And so do they. Mm. I want to be an astronaut, whatever. We have this horrible habit sometimes of not, not allowing that dream to keep growing. And if we, if we take them away, it's, it's fundamentally wrong. The only person that changes his dream is the person. Mm. The boy or the girl changes it. It's not for the parent or for the coach to take that away. Because what we have, I've seen over my time as coach, is extraordinary things happen when players suddenly find things and you thought, well, they might have hit their limit, but suddenly they surprise you and they go again. And that, to me, is often it's about their own personal drive and their ambition and passion to go and do something. And those that have got it, often, you know, they might be slow burners to start, but then suddenly they kick in and you go, wow, they found something and it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you gave us probably more than uh, four or five uh, mantras there, in, although you only referred to one as a mantra. But um, I'm, I, I was speaking with Alexia Walker, who I know you know, um, uh, a couple of days ago, I yeah. think, and um, 
and uh, I said, I asked her, did she has she seen this Netflix series um, called The Coach's Play Playbook? Uh, and she she hadn't seen it. But um, if you've not seen it, then uh, I, I would certainly recommend it. Listening to you speak more and more, I think there's a lot a lot to, uh, of alignment in terms of how that program is presented. Uh, but you know, perhaps even more relevantly, it would be a pro- more appropriate for Netflix to get in touch with you for um, being the first coach for the next series that they do, because <laughs> I think that would be a, that would be a great um, a great watch and a great listen for for anybody. Um, Peter, it's been an absolute privilege to spend time with you. Uh, I'm I'm always a believer in um, in when you speak to someone for the first time, um, you sort of even though time has kind of just flown, you, you kind of just wet the appetite and it's like the tip of the iceberg and wanting to find out and hear more. But I don't, uh, I don't feel as though I want to overstep the mark. So I'd just like to say thank you ever so much for sharing um, so much of, of your own personal uh, view, not just in regards to um, your involvement as a player, but also especially your views about uh, coaching. I think the importance of family uh, the, the the alignment between coaching and parenting, uh, the importance of taking ownership for your development and recognising that uh, every individual is different um, and that there's different uh, times in a in a player's um, career or journey where they'll 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 absolutely fly and then other times where they're going to not necessarily uh, be as successful but to be in that environment where they're believed in and so by being believed in they'll believe in themselves. So. Um, Thank you ever so much. I really, really appreciate you giving us uh, your time and, and your insights today. And um, for, for those those of you who are following us, uh, we will be uh, releasing this podcast pre-Christmas uh, on, on Spotify and Apple uh, Podcasts and Google Play. Uh, and I'm sure everyone will, um, will join me in saying thank you ever so much, Peter Moores. No problem, Tom. Enjoyed it. Great fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.